So we left off this mimer talking about the fire that we have to bring. That even though a fire came down from heaven to consume the sacrifices on the altar, still the Talmud says that people have to provide a fire that comes from the mundane world. So what does that actually mean? So he explains, the Alter Rebbe explained to us, that the whole beginning of Tishrei is all about tshuva, feeling our distance from Hashem, how far we are, and we repent, and we confess, and we say, that we're guilty, and we've rebelled, and we've strayed, and we've done the wrong thing, and we hit ourselves on the chest with this feeling of remorse. What is that all trying to achieve? It's all softening us by, by realizing how far we have, have strayed and creating a yearning to be closer to Hashem. That opens us up. Then when we do mitzvahs after that, the mitzvah actually takes root. It's like, it's like when you plant a seed, you can't plant it in the hard earth, which doesn't receive it. You have to plant it in soft earth that has been plowed. In a similar way, our heart has to be plowed a little bit as long as we feel everything's fine and we're complacent and comfortable with ourselves, so then spirituality doesn't take root. We don't really respond to anything. We're numb to it. But by being upset and disappointed and, and digging deeply within ourselves, we create a yearning, an openness. And that openness then it translates into a, a reaching out to Hashem where the light of Hashem has effect on us. It impacts us. And... Um, and he ended off the section by saying that this happens on Sukkot. That the response, the divine response happens on Sukkot. Because on Yom Kippur, we've broken ourselves down. We've put, put ourselves in this lowly state of being far from Hashem. We've sinned and we've strayed. And that's not just to put ourselves down. On the contrary, that's to say, I, I need to yearn to be somewhere higher. Once you're open to that... So then Hashem responds, and on Sukkot, He embraces us. There's a, a, this powerful divine light that comes down on the first day of Sukkot, which is a huge divine embrace, a hug of our soul. And in the, there's a big, the way the Lukot the Torah works is that it's the Alter Rebbe's mimer. The Alter Rebbe said, that, said it, and it was written down by his students or, or those who listened to him. And then in the editing of it, the Tzemach Tzedek, his grandson, edited for for publication and he added notes in brackets they're sometimes very copious long quoting all different places so instead of doing the whole thing but i just want to this concept is ended by a long note from the tamach tzedek where he adds a, a fascinating quote from the Arizal. the in in kabbalah it says that uh, the sukkah itself has specific laws that the sukkah is supposed to have four walls Ideally, but in theory, you can have three walls. That's still a kosher sukkah. And in fact, the minimal sukkah is two walls and a bit. If you have two, two walls that, that join and then another little small wall, wall that's just a tefach, a hand breadth wide, that is also acceptable as a sukkah. So in, in, in our custom, we, we try to do a four-walled sukkah. To have all four walls is the ideal sukkah. However, a sukkah that has two and a bit is the, is the minimal sukkah. So that Rizal says, why specifically is that a minimal sukkah? 
because the sukkah is an embrace. It's Hashem embracing us, a hug. And the, the best, fullest type of hug is a two-armed hug, a full two-armed hug. That, that is the, uh, an ideal hug. As we said last, last week, the Alter Rebbe said the whole power of a hug is that you're being held in a way that you can't fall. You can't, you can't fall back. And you're being hugged in your entirety. That a hug means I accept you, your front, your back, the bits of you that are a, a positive and relatable, the bits of you that are not so relatable and not necessarily so positive. I hug you all, your, your entire being. And so because the sukkah is the divine hug, so a four-walled sukkah is an ideal sukkah because it's a complete embrace uh, with both arms, as it were, the divine arms. However, at the very least, a one-armed hug is also good. Uh, and, and so therefore, the, the smallest sukkah is one that has two walls and a little bit. Just like you have uh, the forearm, the, the upper arm, and the hand, that's, that's a one-armed hug. That's the minimalist, the smallest sukkah is, is two, two walls and, and an extra little bit. But either way, whatever sukkah you manage to build, it creates the space of the divine hug. And that hug comes only, you only feel that hug, you only appreciate the hug after you've had Yom Kippur, where you've yearned for the closeness. If you didn't yearn for it in the first place, so then a hug uh, is not even noticed. You, you, can't, you can't have the sukkah experience until you've had the Yom Kippur experience. And that was the, the fire that we're creating. The fire is always a yearning upwards. Just like a fire physically, it, it, it flies upwards in an in a, in a, uh, uh, energetic type of uh, stretch upwards. So too, spiritually, the fire upwards is burning up my, uh, my lowly desires and trying to reach a higher place, yearning, yearning for closeness to Hashem. That's the fire that's created on Yom Kippur which is then responded to on Sukkot. We get the response, the divine response. You yearn for it and you get it. You get the hug. And so this, he says, is the meaning of creating a fire from mundane, from the mundane. How do you create that fire? Because if you look at your mundane life and you see that I'm so passionate and so excited about these mundane everyday things, this is where my passion is and my excitement is. I've lost my passion for spirituality, for holiness, for my, my divine purpose. I'm, I'm not into that. I mean, I'm into all these other things. That should create in you a yearning that I need to realign myself. I need to, I need to reconnect. If I can be passionate about things that are not so important, why aren't I passionate about what really is important in life? From the mundane itself, from that you inspire yourself to, to lift yourself up. Uh, from observing your, I, I can be passionate because I see I, I get excited about uh, the, a sale that comes on and I quickly have to respond to it. You know, like I have to, I have to run out and do it or you know, some, some new product or a new thing. I, I'm excited about material and physical things, so I can get excited. But that's not where my life purpose lies. I need to get excited about things that are, that are higher and holier, about, about, a, about a mitzvah, about the opportunity to do good. So from the mundane, I bring a fire. Even though Hashem gives us a fire from above, but you've got to create the fire from below, your own fire. And that's, that's the fire on the altar. In the next section, the Alter Rebbe goes to the next level. It's, we're in Gimel, which is on the page Ein Test there, on the left at the bottom. Everything we've described until now is the fire on the altar. The altar is our heart. The fire is passion, yearning. There's a fire that comes from above, a, a God-given one that's in our soul already. Then there's the fire we create from below, which we just described, the, the yearning that we try to, to create 
on our own with our own efforts. But that's all the fire. We've only spoken about fire. But there's another level in our divine service. Which is even greater and higher than the fire that you create. The fire of passion. There's something even higher than that. And that is water. That water is even higher and deeper and more powerful than fire. And that is And that is what was poured on the altar, specifically on Sukkot. As, as we mentioned earlier, that, that Sukkot had a unique service, a divine service in the temple, that they poured every day of Sukkot water on the altar that was drawn from the Meishiloyach, the Silwan uh, uh, spring, which was just been down the hill from the, from the base of Mikdash. Every night was a massive celebration of drawing that water, bringing it up to the temple, singing and dancing all night. And in the morning, the first thing in the morning, the service was to pour that water on the altar. And that was unique to Sukkot. And this, the Alter Rebbe says, pouring water on the altar is even higher and more powerful, deeper than the fire on the altar. How so? At, at first glance, you wouldn't think that way. Fire seems to have much more of a, of a dramatic presence than water. Water sounds like a bit of a non-event, you know. Water is a very regular, normal thing. You pour water, it flows, you know, nice. But like, fire is a fire. And here, the Alter Rebbe says, no, the, the water is deeper than the fire. So we'll see how. What the water represents is quenching the thirst that was created through the fire. The fire was yearning, was a, was a thirst, a yearning to get close. The water is the response, is the quenching of that thirst that you're actually close. There's yearning to be there and then there's being there. There's, there's the desire to, to get there, the thirst to get somewhere, which itself has a power. Thirst and, and desire has its own power. In fact, it's, it's, it's very, in a demonstrative way, very powerful, the thirst and the yearning. But then there's the result, there's the, the getting there, which is the water that quenches the thirst. And that, that happens on Sukkot, which, which you'll go into a bit more to understand. Like there's a verse, the prophets say, anyone who is thirsty, come to water. If you're thirsty, come drink water. Which doesn't sound like the most uh, profound advice. <laughs> if you're thirsty, come and drink water. That's, that's quite obvious, right? If you're thirsty, you can drink water. That is obvious. But, um, although it's interesting that often we're thirsty, but we don't interpret it as thirst, and we eat instead. But actually, we're thirsty. So you're doing the wrong thing. You know, you're, you're, you're eating when you're thirsty. Um, because you're not interpreting the thirst for what it actually really is. You're just feeling a desire. So you go to a familiar way of, of quelling that desire. You eat. But it doesn't actually quench you. If, you, if you. if you have a drink, then that's what you really need. That's what your body actually needs. So sometimes even physically, you're thirsty, you don't know it. So you go to the wrong thing. But on a, on a deeper level... Very often there's a thirst and a yearning that we have within ourselves that we do not interpret correctly. That, that we think that we're looking for uh, approval or we're looking for somebody to, to notice us or we're, we're looking for some sort of, sort of material fulfillment. And that is actually a deeper yearning of our neshama, of our, of our soul, wanting to be irrigated, want, wanting to, to, to get connection. 
And so when you, when you feel a thirst, you have to be sensitive to what the thirst really is. What are you actually really seeking? And that's what you should be coming to. to. It, it says in the Talmud, Ein that, that water really means Torah. Torah is what irrigates the world. Our real thirst is to connect to Hashem, to, to, to find our fulfillment, our, our soul's fulfillment. So if you're thirsty, water is going to quench it. Nothing else is going to, going to quench that thirst. So, so here as well, the water that was poured on Sukkot was the quenching of the thirst that was created on Yom Kippur. So, so what is that water and why is the, what, what does the water represent in our soul? What is the experience of water of our soul? So he says... Um, the fourth line. Also, in the, in the levels of water and the spiritual representations of water, just like in fire, there's different levels of fire that we spoke about. The fire that comes from above, the fire that comes from below. So, too, in water, there's many different levels, each one different, each one, one higher than the other. But the, the general sense of water is that water is clear, is, is tasteless. Is it represents a level of what's called bittel. Well, there's yeah, there's there's those those waters, the high, the upper waters, the lower waters. Yep. So each each one represents a different level in a, in ourself. But all water has a general uh, sense to it, a, a definition, and that is water is bittel, self nullification, being clear, transparent. It's it's not about me. Reaching that level where it's 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 not not about me. I'm I'm representing something higher than beyond myself, going beyond myself. That's that's what water will will represent on all its levels. So, it show, he, he gives a few examples. So it says at, at about the giving of the Torah that Hashem says you were shown to know that Hashem is. God in heaven and on earth, Ein Oid there's none other than Him. This this verse we quote on Simchas Torah. It's the it's the beginning of the Simchas Torah celebrations. Atta Hares Ladas. We say we say that also every every Shabbos when we take out the Torah. Atta Hares Ladas. You are shown to know that Hashem is God on heaven and on earth. Ein Oid there is none other than Him. So on a simple level, what does that mean? It means that at the giving of the Torah, the Jewish people saw that Hashem is God. Like they, they heard His voice. They were, spoke, they were spoken to directly by God. They saw that there's no other God. There's just, just Hashem is, is, is God. But in, in Hasidus, it takes this a, a step deeper. The Matan Torah experience wasn't just to realize that there's God and there's not other gods. And when it says, there's nothing, no, none, none other than Him. It's not just to say there's no other gods other than Him. It's much deeper than that. At, at Matan Torah, the revelation was so profound that they came to realization there is nothing but God. Nothing exists outside of God. Not just no other God exists. That's a given. Nothing exists outside of Hashem. Hashem is the all. And, correct, correct. And so that, that experience, of because of the body blocks that, that vision, but they saw beyond the body and they saw the reality that Hashem is all there is. Enoid Mavadoi means there is nothing but Him. Now, does that mean we don't exist? Are we not here? 
Well, sounds like it. There's nothing but Hashem. So what are we? Where does that leave us? It's not that we don't exist. Of course we exist. Uh, otherwise we can't even have that conversation. But our existence is not what we think it is. We feel a separate existence to Hashem. That there's me, there's the world, there's Hashem who created everything, who is in control of everything, who enlivens everything. He is the, the, the energy behind it, but, but there's everything as well. Everything exists. We, that's how we see it from our, our view, our point of view. And we're created to see it that way. But there's a deeper perspective, and that is there's just Hashem. There's nothing else. Nothing's outside of Him. Nothing's separate from Him. It's all Him. It's, it's, we're all a part of Him. It's, it's all an extension and expression of Him. There's nothing else. This, this is sometimes described as radical monotheism. It's not just monotheism, there's one God, but it's radical monotheism. There's only God. There's nothing else. And this was something that the Alter Rebbe really developed, an idea that he developed, that it's, it's a completely different level of emunah. In fact, he says, this is what you need emunah for. To believe that God exists, you don't need emunah for that. That's obvious. Of course, there's, 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 how could anything exist without Hashem? Of course, Hashem created the world. There's a divine source of everything. That, that you can logically come to, the, to that conclusion. You don't need faith for that. What you need faith for is there's nothing else. That only Hashem exists and nothing else exists because our eyes see the world, that there is a world. That's, that seems obvious to us. I feel my existence as a separate entity. I, I'm, I'm autonomous. I, I'm me. Hashem is Hashem, but I'm me. That's how I feel. That's how things look. And Munna is, it's not the way things look. That actually there's only Hashem and nothing else. Nothing else exists. What's the difference? Well, what, what, what will, what's, what's the, the ramifications of such a belief? How does it, how does it, it, it change your life? Well, suddenly it's, it's not just that Hashem is behind everything or every, everything has some type of purpose or everything, a meaning. Everything is Hashem. There's nothing outside of Him. Nothing happens that is accidental. Nothing is out of place. Nothing is not supposed to be. Every single detail of every single experience of every, every one of us, everything is a part of that divine vision. It's Hashem. It's Hashem. There's nothing outside of Him. There's not good and evil. There's revealed good and hidden good. Because there's not God and anti-God. There's Hashem. Hashem is everything. Either He's revealed or He's hidden. But He's there. It's all Him. Even the hiddenness of Hashem is Him. It's Him hiding. Not, not something else hiding Him. There's no power that goes against Him. There's no existence that interrupts Him, that, co that, that covers over Him. It's all Him. He is the revelation. He is the hiddenness as well. It's, it's all Him. So any experience you're going through, it's that is Hashem. It's not that Hashem has left me. This is I'm, I, I'm in the, a divine moment right now. It's not that there's some force trying to pull me away from Hashem. That's also Hashem. It's all Hashem. It's all, it's all Him. You don't see it? True. We don't see that because we're, we have flesh, fleshy eyes. We, we see the, the tzimtzum, the contraction, the hiddenness. We, we, we see the, the, the lack. But that's not what, what really is. At Matan Torah, after Horei you were shown... You were shown, you, you visually could see to know, to know clearly that Hashem is Elikim. The two names of Hashem, Hashem and Elikim, is revelation and concealment. Hashem's revelation, Hashem's power of concealment. Hashem and Elikim, it's all one. At Matan Torah, they saw it. It was, it was obvious. It became to totally apparent to them for, for those moments. There's nothing but Hashem.
There's nothing else. When you, when you perceive that, so then you still exist, but not the you that is separate from Hashem, you as an expression, as an, as, as an a, a extension of Hashem, one with Hashem, nothing else. That's the level of water, where, where you're completely transparent, there's, there's, no, there's no blockage, your ego doesn't block, your, your, you have an ego, but that ego is not a blockage of Hashem, it's an expression of Hashem. That's, that's the level of water. So, so he explains those words on the sixth line. Enod muvadoi. chushis. What that means is you were shown at Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, you were shown this with actual palpable vision. You saw this. Shehubachin is bitul b'metzies l'gamru. This is complete nullification of self. B'chin is in a way of seeing. As we know that, when, that something you see, the power of seeing, it reaches very deep into the soul. Um, in Hasidus, it always compares seeing to hearing. Seeing an event to hearing about it. It's very different. When you hear about an event, so first of all, you didn't see it yourself. So there is an element of doubt. Did it really happen? Or is the version I'm hearing a corrupted version? Maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not accurate. I didn't see it, but I heard about it. Uh, also, when you hear about something, there is somewhat of a subjective layer added to the story because you are hearing it and creating the vision in your mind. That's, that's you. Whereas when you see something, it's, it's right there in front of you. It is happening to you. You're passively receiving it. Of course, there is still subjectivity in seeing, but not compared, in, compared to hearing, it's not, it's not the same. So when it says, you, you were given the vision when you see it, when you see Hashem, so then the bittul is complete, the nullification is complete because this is not my interpretation, this is, this is not the way I heard it, it's, it's the way it happened in front of me with, with my own eyes. That was the vision that they experienced at Matan Torah. And we know that Matan Torah, the giving of the Torah, was not just an event that happened once upon a time in history to those people, but every single neshama of all generations was there at Matan Torah and had this experience. So we all had it on a Shama level. We had the experience of Matan Torah, and indeed every year on Shavuos, when we we re-experience the whole the whole thing, it, it, it happens to us. And our neshama is always on that level of re'ir, of seeing Hashem. That's why having faith, having a munna in that level, maybe for our brain it's a struggle, but for our neshama, it's an obvious fact. The Neshama sees Hashem and sees that reality always, is always directly in, in touch with that. Our conscious brain maybe doesn't feel that all the time. When you talk about somebody who has a Munah, somebody who doesn't have a Munah, all that is is whether what your Neshama knows is, is dripping down into your conscious self or, or, or not. But it's there for everybody. So on that level we have total total nullification with Hashem. Totally one with him. So he says, This level is called the level of water. Because what water does is it cools off and extinguishes the heat of the fire. What was the fire? The fire was our yearning to be close with Hashem. The, the, the fire that we create from below 
uh, to, to reach upwards. That's a, that assumes a distance. Correct. And, and can only be created through distance. How do we solve that? By bridging the gap and being close to Hashem, so then the fire is gone. We don't, we don't need the fire anymore. It's, it's, it's extinguished because we feel His closeness. So what's the result of that? The result is we, 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 we cool off. We don't, we don't have that fire anymore. We, we're, we're, we're calm because we're, we're in the space of Hashem now. We're, we're with Him. The distance is gone. Now you see that, that that doesn't mean that the fire was something bad, that we're extinguished, we're getting rid of this. You had to go through the fire to get to the water. You have to have the yearning to, 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 to want the closeness to then have that, uh, that divine closeness mean something. Otherwise, you, you're, you're stuck in complacency. So you need the fire first, but then you need the water. And of course, you're going to have to go back to fire again because... Whatever level you reach, there's always deeper levels to go to. And so when, once you're comfortable with that new level of water, that becomes complacent. And then you realize, okay, actually, but Hashem's ain't safe. Hashem's infinite. However close I am, I'm still far. I just have to go even higher. And so there's a new fire that's created, which then results in a new water and, and so on. So if the fire is coming from within us, is the water coming from within us or is the water the response from heaven well water the nature of water is it comes from above to below it flow it's, it flows downwards it's a downward flow and almost by definition it has to come from above bittle nullification has to be you've created the the vessel for it but the experience of that has to come from above i'm now transparent i'm i'm open and clear for it to come down so we're in a way only responsible or capable of doing the longing and creating the vessel. And you hope that that feeling of closeness will come, but there's no, I mean, there's, there's no time to it. There's no knowing, I mean, that's the emunah, but eventually it will come. Yeah, yep, yep, correct. You, you can just get out of the way. That, that's all you need to do is get out of the way, because it's there. Hashem's light is always shining there. This Atahare Saladas, the, the voice at, at Mount Sinai, it says, is continuously speaking. It's always, it's always there. It says, Ko Godula Yosef. It was a, a great voice that never stopped. Mm. So why don't we hear it? Okay, because we're, we're hearing other stuff. We're, blo we're blocking with other stuff. If, if you move that out of the way, naturally it'll be there. Mm. So the, the whole thing of being distant from Hashem. How can you be distant from Hashem? Hashem is everywhere. It's only, Al-Tarebbe says elsewhere, that... Uh, the furthest you can be away from somebody is if they're right next to you, but you're facing away from them. That's the furthest you can be from from someone, because because you have to go around the whole world to get there. Yeah, if you're if, if I'm facing that way and you're you're over there, if I if I don't turn around, so then I've got a whole universe to to traverse to get to you. But if I just turn around, you're there. Like, and that's being far from Hashem is He's right there, always, because there's nothing outside of Him. But we're distracted. We're, we're, we're looking the other direction. So for him to be revealed in our life, it just means turn around. You, you turn around. He's there. You turn around. So here as well, the, the, the fire is, is creating that yearning to be close. The, the natural response to that will be the water comes. The, the revelation comes. If we ask him to turn his face to us, 
we say both. We say, Hashivenu, Hashem Alecha, Venashuva. Turn your face to us and we will turn. There's, there's like a. Correct. Well, right, but 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 it, it does say that Hashem Tzilcha, Hashem is our shadow, that that the way we act to Hashem, He responds as well. So we turn from Him, He He turns from us, in a in a metaphorical sense. But Him turning from us is only because we're not looking at Him. We're not we're not we're not turning around. So, so he explains a few more lines on the fifth last line. When you enter a state of complete nullification to Hashem, you're you're completely open, transparent, and just letting, giving Him the space. You're you're moved out of the way. Automatically, on its own, the fire, the, that natural fire of yearning, will be cooled off and, and extinguished. In your divine soul. Meaning, it happens automatically. It's not, you create the vessel and then it flows. The, the water flows down. That, that fire that's burning in your soul to be close. Well, as soon as you nullify yourself, then the water comes and, and extinguishes. In other words, the yearning, you have to remember, has a certain a bit of me mixed in there. I want. I want to be close to Hashem. It's a beautiful thing. That's a, that's a very lofty ideal, to be close to Hashem. But it's still what you want. It's, 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 it's your yearning. If you're, if you're really yearning to be close to Hashem, so then you have to just... Silence yourself, and and then Hashem is there. It's it's this sort of uh, a click that goes on. You know, well, I want to be close to Hashem. I want, I want to be close. I want to be close. But you keep saying I, I want, I want, I want. You keep emphasizing I. As soon as you, when you're doing that, there's no room for Hashem. But you only can come to that realization if you want to yearn for Hashem. So remember, we start with the head yet with the fire of of of, of our mundaneness. I have all these desires and yearnings that are just materialistic and selfish and, and, and lowly. That's, that's my starting point. The Rebbe always wants to give us a path to loftiness that starts right down at the bottom where we are in, in our real world. So you can relate to your yearning for materialism and physical things and pleasures. That, that we can all relate to because we have that without any work. That's, that's our natural state. From there, contemplate and saying, but if I'm yearning for that, and that's actually emptiness. There's nothing there. That's not where my fulfillment comes. I should be yearning for Hashem. So I've, I've, I've shifted from my material yearning to a spiritual yearning. And then that creates a, 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 a thirst. Because look where I am and look where I'm supposed to be. I'm so far away. So I have this thirst and yearning. I've, I've, got, I've got to lift myself. And... But, but I have to, to experience this. I have to break my heart a bit. I have to feel that I, I, but I've done the wrong thing and I've misused my, my strengths and my powers. I have to soften the earth in order to have that experience. So I've gone through all that, this yearning. But then comes the realization, well, if I'm yearning for Hashem, I've got to stop saying I, what I want and everything. Just 
just stay out of the way. Because he's there. Hashem is there. I just can't be full of myself. I have to empty myself and open myself up to, to something higher. And as soon as you do that, well, Hashem's there. He was there all along. He, he was, that, that's what he was waiting for. But you could only get there by yearning at first. So you can't skip any of those steps. You, you can't go straight from being materialistically involved to, to self-nullification. How'd you get that? That, that, that didn't work. You, you first have to realize yourself, elevate yourself, and then transcend yourself. You're aware of your lowly self. You lift that self to be a, a, a higher state. There's, there's something deeper that I'm really yearning for. And then it's not even about me yearning. It's, it's about revealing Hashem. Yes, a, a very lofty need, but, but it was. Because ultimately Hashem doesn't want you to burn up in a fire and disappear into the heavens. What Hashem wants is for you to be down here in this world. That's the ironic thing. After all of this, after all the bittle that, that you reach total nullification to Hashem, so, if, okay, if I'm nullified to Hashem, so then, okay, so Hashem, what are you, whatever you want, it's not about what I want, I want to be close to you. But now I'm close, it's, what do you want, Hashem? Whatever you want. What does Hashem want? Go back down into the material world and elevate it, refine it, work on it. He sends us back down because that's, that's what He wants. That's, that's Hashem's will. That's why He created us. And so, so you come back down. Like after Yom Kippur, the, the height of Yom Kippur. Okay, now, now you have to eat. Now you have to come back into your body. The sons of Aaron, they didn't come back down. They, their yearning was a very holy... Correct, correct. I mean, ego, we have, to be, we have to appreciate what level of ego we're talking about. We're talking about an ego that wants to be totally nullified to Hashem and is, that's, that's a very high level, but it didn't, it didn't turn back around and say, what Hashem wants me is, is down here. That's where He wants me. So now I have to go back to my family and back to my work and back to dealing with the material world, but as a, an elevated person, fulfilling the divine will, lifting the world. So, so he, he, he analyzes a bit more these, these two, two states of being. The fire state of being, which is the yearning to be close. And the water state of being, where you've got there. And so there's not your yearning anymore. It's, that's, that's been quenched. It's, 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 you're, you're experiencing the divine closeness. So in analyzing these two states, he gives a, a metaphor. Third last line. The metaphor he gives is the love of a child to a parent. When the child wants closeness with the parent, but they're in a state of distance at the moment, which you can understand just geographical distance, being, being far away and wanting to be close, or emotional distance as well, where the child is fearing, feeling disconnected from the parent and wanting the parent's attention or that the parent should notice. Whatever distance, it's, it's all, it all ends up the same thing. When the child is in that state of distance, of disconnect from the parent, wanting to be close, so then the love 
is obvious. It's, is revealed on, on the surface of the heart. It is expressed. Shetzoik Abba Abba. That the child calls out to the parents. Daddy, daddy. Mommy, mommy. So again, we're talking on, on a very simplistic level. The child is far away, missing the parents, saying, I want to come home, I want to come home. You know, the child is in, in camp or has gone away and they want to be close to the parents. They feel the distance. They say, cool, I want to come home. I want you. Mommy, I miss you. It's, it's verbalized. It's expressed. The child is crying and calling and, and, and yearning. Or the same would be on, on, on an emotional level where you're in the same space. They're not far away physically, but emotionally the child is, is, is looking for the, for the parent. So they may cry directly and say, but I want you, I, 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 want, I need you. Or the cry may come not so directly, which is more common, where they act up or they, they do things to try and get your attention. Like they, they, they want you to notice them because they're feeling a, a distance. So that, that is a very noisy state they're, they're in. It, it's expressive, they're expressing it. Maybe they're expressing it directly or indirectly, maybe appropriately or inappropriately, but it's been expressed. It's, it's, it's on the surface. That's when there's a distance. Over the page. But when the child is with the parent, has the parent's attention, is, is in a state of connection, the heart is overflowing with love for the parent, but it's not obvious. It's not revealed at that time outside of the heart. It's not being expressed at that time. This is one of the irony of, 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 of our relationships is that when you're there, when you're present, when you're connected, it's not expressed so much. It's only when there's a problem, where there's a disconnect, that's when the expression comes out. So, when they're getting your attention, so then it's almost like they don't need you. But that's because they've got you. And so it's, it's there. That, that nothing has to be expressed at that time. It's when there's a disconnect, that's when the, the call, the yearning comes out and become, becomes revealed. So that, that's what the, why it's actually sometimes a good thing, these disconnect moments. Because as long as the, the connection is sort of there, so then everything's under the surface. It's, it's taken for granted and it's, it's just assumed. When there's a disconnect, when, when things are not so aligned, either because the person went away physically or emotionally there's a disconnect, so then it reveals the relationship. There, there, there is a desire to connect. You didn't even realize that that desire was there because we were just sharing the same space. But, it, but as soon as there's a disconnect, like there's a desire to connect. And that desire is noisy, is loud, it, 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 it's expressed. And then when they come home, or when you work things out, or when you, you, you connect again, it's like, it's fine. Sometimes even with little kids, you know, like, um, mommy, mommy, like they, they want you. And then you look, they, they go back to their business. Like, they have nothing to tell you. There's nothing to say. Like, they just want 
to know that your your attention is is on them. Once it's there, then like they they don't need you anymore, or or they'll be doing their things and they'll be just checking to see that you remember them, that that that, that your 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 attention is is there hovering over them. Then they can keep going in their own business. But as soon as you get distracted, then they have a problem. Then there's a, then there's something that they, they need you for. That they, they need to call you again. So the noisy time is when you're disconnected. When you're connected, it's quiet. Not because the love is not there, because the love is, is in the heart. It's not coming out of the heart. It's not being expressed out, out, outwardly. So, second line, That's why that level is called the level of water. Because water, just like water extinguishes fire, so to this level of love, it puts out the fire of yearning that it should not be expressed outwardly on the, on the outside. So, how does that work in, in our Avodah Hashem, in serving Hashem? Well, it's like, like many things, that when there's a tension, tension creates friction and heat and energy. And when there's no tension, when the tension has been resolved, the energy's not there. You know, sometimes that's really good, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you need the tension, you need, you need a bit of heat. To, to make change, you need tension. You know, just like um, if you want to bend a piece of metal, so you have to heat it up. When, when it's hot, then it's, then it's bendable. As long as it's cold, it's stuck, it's stuck where it is. Same with us. Like, for us to create a, a change, to, to grow, there needs to be some type of tension. There needs to be some heat. You need to, to heat things up a bit. And then, once the change is made... It needs to cool off, and and then it's quiet, and that quiet is is good. It's like things have been resolved, until the next point of growth. So there's the fiery and noisy stage, and then there's the cool, calm, watery stage. So. So he says that after the square brackets, there's like a couple of lines of square brackets. Bezel inyan tefilas this is the idea of Shemana Esrei, of the Amidah, which is the silent prayer. Belachash. Belachashoy. It's, it's quiet, silent. It's a, it's a silent prayer. Why? Ki b'psuke de zimra hu ma'ur es ha'ava kirish be'esh. In the p'suke de zimra, we say all the Tehillims uh, from Baruch Shammar till Yishtabach. That's the preamble before we get to the Shemana Shemana Esrei. That's called Psuke de Zibra. Psuke de Zibra means verses of song. Song means singing out loud, no- noisy. And even if we don't sing it out loud or noisy every day, but the, the idea of it is to create a, a friction in our soul. That we woke up in the morning as, as a physical being. We're trying to bring our soul back into us in the morning. And 
reconnect to our soul. And so there's a bit of friction there. There's our, our bodily needs and our bodily urges and, our, and our, our material yearnings. And then there's our spiritual life that we're trying to bring back in to start the day on the right foot. And so that, there's, there's friction. So Psukha de Zimra is that state of, of, of friction where we're trying to remind ourselves what we're really here for. So we read the songs of King David, the, 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 the Psalms, which are all praising Hashem, that Hashem is behind everything and the winds and the rains and the mountains and everything in the, in the world. It's all, it's all Hashem. You know, Hashem is there. It's, it's all about Hashem and yearning to it for Hashem. Because we're not in that state naturally. We're trying to get there. And so that's called Psukha de Zimra. It's in in Hasidus, the Altar Rebbe says the word Zimra means song, but it also means to, to prune. Zmuros is to, like, to, like to, to prune a, a plant, which you, you're pulling off the, the thorns or the un, unneeded bits, the dead parts. So in a similar way, the Psukha de Zimra is trying to pull away some of our materialistic uh, uh, assumption and, and lift ourselves to a higher axiom, a higher place. So that's the Pesukah de Zimra. That's to awaken the love in a fiery way. That's to burn away the strange fires, the foreign fires, the passion for the wrong thing. That's what Pesukah de Zimra is trying to do. Get yourself passionate about the right thing by burning away, chopping off, pruning away the wrong fires, the wrong, the wrong passions. So that's That's when you're far from the king. You're far away and you're trying to get close. You're, you're, you're working your way through like a, a jungle, a bush, and you put, you're, you're, you're cutting a path for yourself. That's, that's in a state of distance. But when you get to Shemona Esrei, when you're at Shemona Esrei, you're standing before the king. You've made it. You're there. And you say, Baruch Atah, blessed are you. You is second person right in front of me. And that's why we're standing. We're in a state of standing, and that's why we're silent. You have to be noisy when you're far away. You're calling to, to someone who's distant. But when you're close, you could be silent. So that experience of, uh, of Shemana Esrei, of Amidah, is, is the quiet and calm one. And this is a, a, way, a way to, to try and daven the Amidah. Davening is very hard. All of davening is very hard. It's hard to, to focus, hard to connect. But, uh, but uh, just a, a simple thought to do, to do in the Amidah, based on what we're learning, is that the beginning of davening is to try and get closer, to you and closer. The Shemones of the Amidah is you're there. You're actually there. So to just, just say the words and put yourself aside, just allow the word to take up your entire consciousness. Baruch Atta, whatever the word is, and, and the, the, the simple literal meaning of it, just to let, let the word take up the space instead of you. Before you're battling with your mind and battling, trying, trying to, 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 to get close. Shemun is, you're just there, standing. It's, it's not about you anymore. It's just... You're a conduit for the words. So, saying Baruch Atta is an incredible thing. You're saying, blessed are you. You. Second person. 
So he says, he explains, Upirush Baruch, what does the word Baruch mean? We say it so many times in Adavim, Baruch, Baruch, Baruch. Blessed are you. In, in English it sounds so foreign. Ble- bless you. <laughs> you know, like what, what, what are we saying? Blessed art thou. You know, what, what, is, what does Baruch mean? So he says, Hasidus always explains Baruch is Bechinus Hamshacha. Baruch means drawn down. It, it, elsewhere, the Alter Rebbe explains this, the, the word mavrich, um, to, to graft, when you, when you graft a plant from one to the other. So you, you take this plant and you bring it here. You, you draw it over. Or a brecha is a, a pool of water, where you draw a pool of water. You, you direct water to come in, into a pool. So the word baruch means to, to draw down. It's connected to berak, which is the knee. We bend the knees when we say Baruch, because you bend, bending the knees, you physically come downwards. And that is a, like a symbolic way of drawing down the divine, that Hashem should come down to us. We're drawing Him down to us. So Baruch is Amshacha Baruch. We say the word Baruch, blessed. What we mean is, drawn down. I'm, I'm bringing you to be in, in front of me. Drawing down the, the divine presence in front of me. That's what the word Baruch means. That the oneness of Hashem should be down here. We spoke before about Hashem being all there is. There's just Hashem. That's true. That's from Hashem's perspective, there's just Hashem. But from my perspective, from my lowly perspective, there's me, and there's you, and there's a world, and there's, there's everything around me, and there's Hashem. That's the way we look at it from down here. In Chassidus it's called Das Elyon Das Tachton. There's Hashem's opinion and our opinion. Hashem's opinion is there's just Him. Our opinion Meaning, our perspective is, well, there's you, but there's also us. There's a whole world we see. That's, that's the way we see things. Baruch is, I want to draw down your opinion. I want to draw down your perspective to become my perspective. The oneness that Hashem experiences, where everything is Him and nothing's outside of Him, I want to draw that down to me. I want to experience that down here. That your opinion should become my opinion. That I, I should see it your way. So... The, that his oneness should come down here. That I should experience the bittel, the nullification to Hashem, the way Hashem sees it. The way Hashem sees me is a part of Him. That's what the word Baruch is. A similar thing is, is, is when we say Moedim means we thank you, Hashem. Like Toda, from the word Toda, Moedim is, is we give thanks to you, Hashem. Modani. But there's another explanation of that word, the word Moida. Moida can mean we admit to you. We submit to your way of thinking. Like in, in the Gemara, it says that, what, that there's a machloikis between two opinions, but this side submitted to that side. They admitted, yeah, you're, you're right. We, we see it this way, but we submit to your opinion. So giving thanks to Hashem also can mean submitting to His way of thinking. I see it that there's a world, and this world is a world of multiplicity. Some things are good, some things are not so good. There's like a, a divine, good, holy force in the world and there's this other force that's blocking the divine, that's, that's pushing the other direction. 
there seems to be two paths in the world. That's the way I see it. The way I see it is that I exist. I have, an, I have an, a, a separate autonomous ego, which is me. I can sometimes try and transcend that, but like my primary state is being stuck in me. That's the way I see it. Hashem sees it very differently. Hashem sees there's, there's only Hashem and nothing else. Everything in the world is His. He put it there. He created it. He's behind it. He is it. There's nothing outside of Him. It's, it's all Him. That's His perspective. I don't see it that way. He sees it that way. It's amazing because we're asking for all mundane things. All these things that would be perceived as material and separate from Him. Correct. Correct. Why? Because, because they're not separate from Him. It's Baruch Atah Hashem. We're blessing you to Mavarach to bless the years, to Rofechon to, to heal the sick. I, I, we want that Hashem's reality should be revealed in the healing of the sick and in blessing of the year and all the things that in, down here in this world. It should be it should be Hashem revealed in the world, because not, there's nothing separate from Hashem. The problem is it's not it's not revealed. We want it to be revealed. When Hashem heals the sick and He blesses the years and He brings Mashiach, so then it's all it's all revealed. It, it's revealed in the world. And, and so in the midst of that, we say, that we see it, that there's a world that's separate from, from you. Maybe you control it, maybe you're behind it, but the world is separate. That's how we see it. You, Hashem, from your perspective, it's all one. We, we admit that you're right. We submit to you. We, we admit that you're, you've got the, the real perspective. Our perspective is a, is a created perspective. Hashem created us that way, that we should feel separate, so we should have a sense of autonomy, so we should do something. We should have free choice. He made us that way. But not that we should actually really believe that our perspective is, is the ultimate one. The ultimate one is Hashem's perspective that there's only Hashem and nothing else. We can't see it that way. We can't experience it currently that way. But we can, we can believe it and we can be modem. We, we admit, we submit to you. We know that, you're, that your, your perspective is right. Correct. In Pesukah Zimra, we're, we're talking about the, the, the glory of Hashem and how amazing He is, because we're yearning to be there. Then, in Shemar Nesra, we're standing in front of Him, totally nullified, and then we talk about coming back down into this world, that, that, that we've got to come back. What Hashem wants is for us to come back. Pesukah Zimra is our yearning to go to Him. Shemar Nesra is Hashem's desire for us to look after this world. So if we have to look after this world, so heal the sick already. Reveal yourself, Hashem. We, 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 not, we want to bring you back down. Return your Shechina back to, to this world. So that's, that's the Moedim Anach Nolach. Imagine thinking about that. Moedim Anach Nolach is, we, we submit to your perspective. I can't see it. But I know you're right. I know, I know you're right, Hashem, that, that, that there's, only, there's only you and nothing else. And that's also the idea of bowing. The, the, the bowing that we do in Shemana Esrei, and even more, what we do in Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, what, what is the idea of bowing? Is... I, my head, my vision, my, my attitude is that there's a world. That there's me. That's my primary awareness is there's me. 
and there's my life and there's my existence. And I've been introduced the idea that there's God actually who's behind that and who created that and who I need to try and connect with. That, that's, but that's my, my primary identity, my primary awareness is me. Bowing is like I'm giving up that awareness. I'm bowing to you. I'm admitting that, that there's a higher reality that I don't see it with my physical eyes, but I know it with my, my, my neshama. And so I'm, I'm submitting to you, I'm, I'm bowing to you. And so in the, in the base of Mikdash, they bowed flat on the face because there was a divine revelation there. Just get out of the way, just, just, just receive it. We just bow our heads, but on Yom, Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we go to the floor because then the, the Kedusha of the Beis HaMikdash reaches our, our shul, wherever we are. And so we can, we can bow all the way to the ground. And so, So therefore, this level of davening is silent, completely silent. It's not, it's not making noise. Noise you make when you're far away and you want to be close. When you reach there, when you're close, you're just quiet and silent. So that's the, that's the water. The water which is clear, which is quiet, tasteless, just total nullification. And that, and that we receive on Sukkot. When we actually receive the divine embrace, when Hashem is close to us, then we're not, we don't have to yearn, we don't have to scream out. We're there, we're, we're in that moment. And we have that every, every day in miniature in Shemun so that I guess is the lead up the lead up to the, the water libation the joy of of what you're about to experience but then the actual moment is, is silent it's like you you're building up like there's there's joy that you dance, and then there's, there's a moment where there's nothing you can say. It's yeah, it's like any any joy. There's there's a joy that you know you makes you laugh or, or makes you get up, and and then there's such a deep, a deep overwhelming joy that it's silent. All right. Thank you. Does he bring the